You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello! I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. While you were skipping stones, building forts and flying kites, I was missing school and all my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, welcome back to Little Me Growing Up Broadway with Mark Tuminelli. My guest today started her career on Broadway at the age of nine in the original production of Evita, quickly followed by her landing the title role in the Broadway musical Annie at the age of 10. She was the longest running and youngest star of the Broadway musical at that time, playing the role for over a thousand performances over nearly three years. Following her history-making run in Annie, she was cast on Kate and Allie, playing the role of Jenny Lowell on CBS for six seasons. She recurred on all seven seasons of NBC's The West Wing. Other TV credits include The Closer, Buddy Farrow, Spy Game, Will and Grace, American Dad, Family Guy, CSI, Numbers, Cold Case, and many, many others. Her theater work includes starring in the L.A. premiere of Oleana, QED opposite Alan Alda at the Mark Taper Forum, and in the musical The Education of Randy Newman. Please welcome... Allison Smith. Hi, Allison. Good morning. Good morning. How's so it going? Good to see you and hear you. <laughs> you too. Um, we have to give a big shout out to my buddy Seth Rudetsky, who helped me uh, get to you. I've been a big fan of yours for legitimately my whole life. And so it's really a dream to get to chat with you and hear your Broadway story. That's so sweet. What a genius podcast. Oh, well, thank you. Oh my God. I'm putting that on a t-shirt. Um, okay. So in 1979, you made your broad, was it 79 or 80? You made your Broadway debut in Evita. It was late 79. It was November 79. All right. Yeah. So the show had just opened and then were you like the first replacement in that show? Yeah. Well, well I yeah, don't tell really me. know. I don't really know because I was uh, nine. <laughs> okay. So those adult, uh, questions and answers were beyond me at the point, but oddly enough, Sarah Jessica Parker had a sister, um, in Evita, a younger sister, and, um, they were replacing another girl and I didn't know Sarah and her family at the time. I'm not sure why I even mentioned that, except that, uh, it was a Broadway family. And so, there was a woman in my small town who was my art teacher who had heard me sing at school and her husband was a stagehand. And she said to my mom, Joe, let's, can I take her in? They're having replacements for one of the children in the children's chorus and the rest is history. I went in and, and I got it. Now you're from New Jersey. Yes. I'm Great. from Bergen County, New Jersey. Well, thank God for that little choir teacher that recognized that you had a sensational talent and it was time to get you to Evita. It was time to, uh, to think bigger things than the small town. Yeah. So now Evita was like a very hot show. You joined the cast. It had only been open for a couple months. Uh, and so you did that show, I'm assuming with Patty Lapone for that first chunk of time. Yeah, with with Patty. With Patty. What do you remember about that experience? Oh, I remember just the magic of being in a real theater for the first time and the and the the kind of circus of it all, the magic of the the chorus men and women and kind of naked ladies and men <laughs> running around and changing, which, you know, I grew up in a pretty, you know, my mother was raised pretty strict Catholic. So my brothers, you know, were not 
I mean, they did, but she, she didn't want them to walk around even with their shirts off. So suddenly there and watching my mom witness all of that circus and that joy of just the freedom of people doing what they love to do and acting and singing and dancing and wigs and costumes. I think that really, that behind the stage stuff really impacted me and, in, and enthralled me more than I even knew what was going on stage because I, I, I couldn't watch the show because I was backstage, but hearing, uh, Patty and Mandy through the mic, uh, I mean, through the speakers was just, just riveting and to wait for your cue and to go down the stairs when it was your time and all of that. Getting to do a Vita for whatever chunk of time I'm sure was uh, this wildly exciting experience and especially, you know, this hot show with Patty Lapone. And was there very little interaction between you and her, I would imagine? <laughs> there was very little interaction, uh, but whatever interaction there was, was just gracious and amazing. And she was just lovely to all of the kids and their parents and, uh, you know, she was just such a force and working so hard. Uh, and, um, everyone on that show was just so, so gracious and welcoming. Of course, I was only there for about two months, so I can't say. And and then did Annie come calling right away? Was that the next thing? I think that the open call to replace, uh, Sarah Jessica came within weeks of me starting uh, Avita. Did your mom have your, like, have her sights set on it? Did it be like, well, this is a kid role and you are, are, you have this killer voice. Were you a redhead then? I was, I've always been a strawberry blonde ish, reddish headed kid. Um, so no, my mom was not anything, uh, show busy. I'm the youngest of six kids and she was an older mom because she had had, uh, many kids before me. So she was not pushing anything in the, uh, in the theater world for me. She was a bit frazzled by it all and thrown into this world very late in life for her. And so, no, I think it was my dream from the time I was seven to be Annie on Broadway, because I listened to that record over and over and over and sang it and performed it in school and, uh, would tell people that I was going to be Annie on Broadway. But again, that, that wasn't anything that any other girl or boy my age, uh, wasn't doing at that time. So it didn't seem particularly, uh, interesting that Allison Smith was doing that because everybody wanted to be Annie on Broadway. Everyone wanted to be Annie. So do you go to, what do you remember about going to the open call for this, you know, search for the Annie? Now this show had been running for a couple of years, was a very, very big hit. And so I'm sure there was like a billion kids there. There were a million kids there. It was cold. It was December, uh, long lines outside the theater where you had to wait. And what I remember mostly about the first or the, certainly the first one was you got measured for your height pretty immediately. And if you were over, I think it was, it was probably like four. Yeah. Yeah. 410 used to be like the thing. Everyone had to be like 410 or under. I think, and I was very small. Um, and so, but I remember just that taking off your shoes and being measured and then sort of herded into a different group to sing happy birthday. Okay. And then do you remember feeling like, oh, they're watching me? Was there a moment where you're like, I think that I'm going to be Annie? Like, when did that start to happen? That probably didn't really happen until the very last time they had me sing. Um, I, as far as the nerves, I think I had a, uh, sort of natural born confidence and probably delusion to thinking that, oh yeah, this, this is mine. This is just, you know, (laughs) my calling and I've got this and, and nerves didn't really come in until the, the seventh callback and the very, very final moment where I had to sing. Uh, up until then it was all naive ignorance of just, you know, this star crossed feeling that 
it was going to be me. So what was your family dealing, doing when they were like, this kid's going to probably be Annie. Like she keeps getting called back. Um, I think there was great excitement. I know there was great excitement. Uh, you know, I, I come from a very blue collar, um, not an easy life family. You know, we never had very much money. My dad worked three jobs his whole life, which meant that my mom was dealing with a lot of kids on her own a lot. So it was kind of a, a stressful household, to be honest. And, um, although I will say I always being the youngest was loved and adored by my older siblings and, um, and always encouraged and always kind of, they made me feel like I was a light in the woods to them because I was a little bit weird, meaning weird to them, meaning I was very willing to sing on the fire hydrant on our (laughs) streets and put on weird, weird scarves and, you know, be an entertainer, uh, always. And I think they got a kick out of me. So I think they were just like, okay, she's always been a little bit of a circus kid. This, this is really fun and exciting. And this might actually just happen. This is her destiny. Okay. So tell me about the day you found out that you were going to be Broadway's third Annie or your fourth, fourth Annie, right? I am. I am yes. the fourth. Okay. Uh, it, it was getting pretty nitty gritty with a lot of eliminations and I had to go do a Vita. Uh, sometimes I'd have to leave the audition process early, um, earlier than others. And I, we were always worried they would just eliminate me because of that, because it was an inconvenience. I wasn't able to stay. I wasn't able to do the next round if it was past, you know, 7 PM. And so they would just tell me to come back the next time. And, um, so there were five of us in the end. And the very last thing that happened was they had me come out on my own and sing maybe. And that was on stage at the Alvin theater, right? Wow. On stage at the Alvin, uh, the final test. I don't think Martin was, uh, there's a, there's a primetime Saturday video of the whole open call process. It's a fabulous, um, it's all kind of recorded history for me to be able to see. And so it's actually easier to tap into the feelings and memories. Like when you watch a video, because there's a video of it. Um, and they, so they told, so did Martin, who told you who got like, came on stage and said, you're, you're our next Annie. They called after I went across the street to uh, a, a diner called (laughs) Thanos, which was on 52nd and 8th Avenue. On the corner. Yeah. And I was, and played like, you know, Pac-Man because I was, I was waiting to do the night show of Evita and, uh, my mom called home from the payphone. And one of my brothers said, uh, they called and said, she got it. (laughs) Um, that is a huge moment. I'm sure that is hard to forget that. It was, it was really, really, it was really wonderful. Now you were the smallest and youngest girl to play that role on Broadway. They had been, you know, Andrea and then Shelly and then Sarah, Jessica. And, um, you know, they're, they were like all 12, 13 ish and taller. And mm-hmm. so you were the first sort of little and young Annie on Broadway, which kind of changed the dynamic of what that show felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and then historically since then, Annie's always been a lot younger. You were the, you were the first little Annie. Was there any sort of pressure about that? Or did you feel like they were giving this role to a 10 year old and you had to show up in a bigger way? Was there any of that was part of your thought process? I think that Martin was nervous. Uh, it was a risk for him and he really needed me to come through and he was, uh, well, I guess he was notoriously scary to all of the orphans and all the girls. They all talk about that. I don't know if you've interviewed any, yes, I have. <laughs> you know, he was very, you know, this ominous presence with his fur coats and his hair. He was like Wolfman Jack entered the building. He had this very strong, fabulous cologne. So even if you, you could sense that. Even if you didn't see him, you could smell him. Yes. And so, but, you know, over the years, the feeling, there are adults who confirmed for me that yes, he, he had a lot writing on my success and a lot writing on me being able to do it. So he was, 
a little bit hard on me. Um, and rightly so. And he needed me to be able to do it all within, I think it was 10 days or two weeks wow. of rehearsal. And for half of that, I was still doing a Vita. <laughs> so he, he had every right to need to make sure that I was going to, uh, rise to the occasion. And so he wasn't certainly, I wouldn't even say nearly unkind or far from abusive in any way. He just was intent on making sure that I knew uh, what was riding on really getting it and doing it. And if that meant doing it over, if that meant really, really saying, you got to, you know, you got to get this down. So I think there were some occasions where it was rattling, but there was so little time to think and so much there, there was so much learning to do. And I'm sure you wanted to be great. So you were doing everything you could to deliver. Um, Yes. I I, I love the role so much. And, and I have to say, I had seen Sarah, I had seen Sarah um, do it in 1978. My brother had gotten, uh, me tickets for, and for Easter. And I went and saw the show and, and she was such a phenomenal actress that I'm sure in the beginning, I was just maybe mimicking some of what she had done because she was such a beautiful Annie. And then I think naturally I was such a ragamuffin and she was so poised even as, even as Annie, you know, (laughs) Um, and I just think my natural attributes and kind of, um, unpoised ways fit being Annie so naturally that I think that added to, uh, my performance in ways without me really trying. Was there anything that Sarah Jessica, there's like a very famous photo of her, like handing it over to you. Is there, uh, anything that you remember her telling you about, this is what you need to worry about, or this is, this is the thing that's the hardest. Do you remember any of that? I have a photo of a note. Well, I have the note and, uh, uh, of her, that of a note that she left me backstage and it was very sweet, but it was very like, you know, jiggle the handle to get the light to work. You know, it's very, um, very kind of theater kid to theater kid. Like, you know, this is your room now, as opposed to anything about the role. How did the other kids sort of welcome you? I mean, I've heard crazy stories about those orphans and how that sort of blew up and, uh, parents and kids and all of that. How did they welcome this little girl coming in to, to kind of carry their show? I mean, essentially, I mean, if, if Annie's not good, the show's not good. (laughs) Yeah. We had such a, I think there was a really big changeover when I came in. They, okay. I think a lot of people were fired um, or let go. Uh, and I don't really know the history behind that. But but when they were rehearsing me, they were rehearsing a lot of new people. So uh, along with me came four or five new orphans. And so we were all, I think only Janine Babo stayed as Molly and, uh, the Tessie stayed and the Duffy stayed. And then, uh, we were a new. Oh, so that probably made the transition a lot easier for everyone. Yeah. We were all new families, all new parents. They, none of them had, none of them were like the professionals who had been on tour or had been in Mm -hmm. it for many years. Uh, so we were all this kind of fresh blood and, and experiencing it all with joy for the first time together. What do you remember about those first couple performances? Like, of like doing it. (laughs) I remember specifically on open night, opening night, getting nerves before I sang maybe for the first time. And I remember sitting on the floor with Molly on my lap and you, and they vamp, uh, before you come in, uh, you know, the bump. And I did not come in after the second and I got, hit with such a stage fright for the, for the, it wasn't just nerves. It was, I don't, I actually don't think I'm going to sing. Oh my God. (laughs) I actually don't think I can do this. And I just looked down to the conductor and he nodded. He gave one such 
reassuring nod of the head. And that was it. I never looked back. And then you, and you couldn't, and you stayed in the show for longer than any girl had done it doing a thousand performances. Yeah. Do you, and you move, did you move theaters three times while you yeah. did the show? <laughs> I did. Times? Maybe That's four. Four. Uh, I think it's four. Two intermittent. I think there was like the St. James and the Anta maybe? Yeah, no, you moved to the Anta, which was now the August Wilson, which is right across the street. Then they went to the Eugene O'Neill for like literally three months. And then the Eurus, which is now the Gershwin, which right. is where that show closed. But right. um, it's sort of crazy. You, uh, Annie was homeless for like a few months and they you, were, and they just kept moving it. Um, yeah, which yeah. I imagine is a very kind of exciting, like, or strange experience. It was exciting to eventually land at the Urus because the Urus, um, which now the Gershwin, Gershwin is yeah. massive. I mean, yeah. it's massive. It's much more like a concert hall at, or than a theater. It, so it felt when, when we came from these very, you know, early 1900 theaters that, that felt, I think it holds 1500 or something. Yeah. I think they're and actually I mean, like at 1700. It's, it's, I think the second largest theater on Broadway. It's, it's really yeah. huge. Um, so was there a thought like I'm staying in this forever? Cause I'm tiny. Was there, did you feel like, I mean, obviously everyone was very obsessed with your performance. It was very well reviewed and everybody really gathered around this little girl playing Annie and you became like the thing to see. Um, so I'm sort of, I'm sure producers wanted to keep you a long time, but was there a moment where you're like, I never want to leave this job? Like, tell me what was going on and at performance 400 and 500 and 600. I definitely never wanted to leave that job, uh, for the, I would say solidly for the first two years it was absolute bliss. Uh, and it was, it was an, it was a metamorphosis for me as what I can see now as a, as an artist, because interestingly enough, I, I worked for 20, 25, 30 years before I, I had the adult awakening of like, Oh, I'm an artist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because in a sense it was more about the job itself. Right. Cause I, I wanted to be Annie and uh, and then all the other things happened so quickly after. So in, but in looking back, it was a real blossoming of my, of, of my art of becoming a character, knowing a character so well and really living and breathing through the story. And, and eventually as I matured into being her for so long, uh, as people do who can, who get to play characters for so long. There's, there are different, um, depths and things you find and also different, uh, cast members come and go, which change the dynamics of the relationships of the characters. And so I would say it was a solid two years before I even looked back because I was so into, I was so into the art of it. My, my voice was getting stronger and stronger and there was real power in that, especially yeah. once we got to the Eurus. Um, I mean, the height of doing that show eight days a week, probably two years in my voice was incredibly strong and I was able to do a lot with it. And so there was so much joy in, uh, exploring, the character through song and through the words themselves and having scenes with, uh, as I said, different people. Who, who stands out, uh, as someone who's come into the show or someone that you got to work with that was, you know, the highlight for you? Well, I entered with, um, John Shuck and Alice Ghostly and that was like coming in with the, uh, what do they say? The old guard, you know, mm-hmm. when, when I step into them and they just shower me with their talent. And then when, as new people came in, they were kind of working off me and Harv Presnell came in and Harv was just uh, hilarious and a delight and had the most beautiful tenor voice. Yeah. Uh, and he would throw me so high in the air. <laughs> uh, that relationship became very physical because he was so big and I was so small. Uh, and so there was a lot of, com- you know, when he came in, there was a lot of comedy that was able to be, be entered instead of, uh, with John, who was a little bit more fatherly and, and, um, 
our size wasn't as, as different. Um, so I would say Harve and Marsha Lewis, uh, were my, I would say my main daddy Warbucks and Miss Hannigan. Um, and they were just joyous and talented and great at daddy Warbucks and Miss Hannigan. And there was just a lot of love and emotion I think that came through our characters with one another and, and comedy really just, we really were kind of could get pretty slapsticky up there. <laughs> now, when you're, when you're playing America's favorite orphan, you get to do a lot of like press things or events. Obviously there's that very cool, um, Martin Sharnin, uh, live from link, uh, live from uh, DC where you are, you sing hard knock life and then Sarah Jessica sings maybe. And then Shelly sings, I think Shelly sings maybe, and then Andrew sings tomorrow or whatever. Um, what, uh, what are those things that you remember the most out of doing all those cool kind of press things? And then we'll talk about the not so fun events that Annie has to do. Well, I always remember when I was with Andrea and Shelly and Sarah, because I just was always so nervous. They were older than me. They were, you know, they had all the I was just this scrawny little kind of scrappy kid and they wore pretty dresses and their hair was done. And, and they were Andrew, like teenagers, you know, yeah. like it's, yeah, and it's like. like Andrea mm-hmm. was always in a cool jumper and they had. Smoking a cigarette in a jumper. There <laughs> they had breasts and I was always just so awkward and they were always lovely and kind to me. But I think the age difference, especially in those teen years, definitely separated us from me feeling a little bit like an outsider, but they were always lovely and complimentary. I just, you know, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds don't necessarily want to hang, hang out, out with like 11, 11 year old. Yeah. Um, um, you did this really cool thing that is on YouTube. It's like Doug Henning. It must be like circus of the stars or something where Andrea goes into a tube singing tomorrow and you come out finishing tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was actually a Doug Henning magic. Oh my uh, god! TV special, yeah. Oh my god! Were there other things that stand out to you as being weird, fun, Annie promo things you got to do? Um, and we're still in the good category. We're still in the good. We're going to the bad in five <laughs> seconds. Everyone, stand by. Uh, you know, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade was always a big deal. You know, it was Thanksgiving morning. My my mother's cooking for the whole family, trying to get turkey on the table. And yet, you know, having to get me in the city by some ungodly hour to- (laughs) 4 a.m. to be at Macy's, yes. It was funny. One of my brothers was a police officer uh, in the town I grew up in. And I, you know, was working all those years. And I remember on Thanksgiving day, it was like, I would go do the Macy's Thanksgiving parade. He would go do, you know, his shift. And then I'd come in with- with my hair and pins from having worn the wig and he'd come in in his police uniform and we'd sit down and finally <laughs> have things. Everybody was waiting for us to get back to, to I mean, eat. that's a sitcom. Can we write, you need to write that for yourself. I actually did, I actually did write it. Okay. Okay. Great. Good. good. <laughs> well, I'm going to try to make it happen. Let's talk about some of the stuff that wasn't great. You mentioned on a 2020 interview that, you know, you were getting lots of requests to do very big things for a lot of money. And your mom would say yes to it because how do you turn down, you know, 15 or $20,000 to sing at a party? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so tell me about some of those things that were less exciting that, you know, the dark side of fabulous as we might call it. Yeah. I mean, I would never... I would never use the word dark relating to anything. I would just say that, you know, we were talking about how long did you want to stay? When did you want to go? I would say before I left, I think it came up in my head. I think maybe we were down to like kind of six month check-ins. Like, do you want to stay another six months? Do you want to stay another six months? And I think maybe six months before I actually left was the first time I considered it. And that was purely because of, my age being an eighth grader and adolescence. And was it, was I growing out of, you know, wanting to be known as Annie before, but I think the hardest thing for me was when I was 12 and, uh, being hired to sing for, for events that were for other kids, my age to be the entertainer. Um, it was a little scarring I have to say, and I, I wouldn't call it dark. I would just say for a 
adolescence level of never wanting to feel different or never wanting to feel humiliated, that that felt a little humiliating. Um, I remember two instances. One was someone's bat mitzvah that I was hired to sing at. So, you know, I would have to wear Annie garb um, and everybody was all jazzed out in there. Uh, bat mitzvah stuff. And I was, and you're with their, your age. They're like a year older than you. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I just wanted to sit with them and be able to like do the banana split, um, uh, bar and, and make myself a Sunday. Uh, but I had to perform for them. So that was hard. And like a performing arts camp, I think same, I was in the entertainment and I just, I'd never been able to go to sleepaway camp. And I was like, I want to kind of spend the night here and jump in the lake. So I would say, that around, uh, when I was around 12, those were the things that were starting to become a little bit more of an internal conflict for me. Yeah. Um, but never, and, and the reason I left when I left was literally because I was starting a new school year and it was like, this will just go on forever. Why not just go, uh, and make a clean break, you know, in September when school's starting again. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So that was like how you made that decision. Yeah. Um, how did production sort of, they, were they okay with it? Did they try to get you to stay? Do you remember any of that? I think, uh, I don't really because I think my mom sort of uh, dealt with, for lack of a better word, the business side of that. But I think everybody probably agreed if I was going to go, why not start um, your school I year? Guess that would have been eighth grade. Um, why not start when this new school year is starting? I think if everybody knew it was going to close three months later, <laughs> they would have asked me to stay. I yeah. don't think in September they realized um, that you'd be, that the or, show would wrap by January. Yeah. And I, 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 uh, I would in, in hindsight, it would have been great if I could have Close finished it out. But going at any time would have, would have been as hard as it was. So it was, it was, it was pretty devastating to go. Yeah. And kind of transitioning back to real life is really hard after having that level of success and that much to do. I mean, just to have that kind of schedule for year after year where you're doing eight shows a week and you are doing this much school and going like that schedule gets so you get so used to it, especially as a kid. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say it's been interesting as a parent. Uh, you know, I have two daughters and, uh, one of them is already 18. And so throughout many years of her high school years, I, I would not have an answer to like some things because, uh, or her middle school year, you know, I, like if they were watching TV, I'd be like, I don't remember ever watch, you know, wanting to watch this much. I was like, yeah, I would literally was the entertainment. I was never kind of never, no one entertained you. Yes. Yeah. I was never really consuming entertainment. I realized, uh, because by eight o'clock every night I was, I was the entertainment. So are either of your kids interested are either of them performers? Um, they are not really performers. I mean, the younger one is certainly more of a performer and we'll see. She's still, uh, only 14, but um, they are not like straight out of the womb, you know, ready to sing and dance and, and take it on. I will say not because either of them couldn't. And my older one has been uh, involved with uh, stage managing and, and uh, being in, on the technical side 
throughout high school and stuff. But I think that as a parent, you see who your children are. And I think they have other gifts to give to the world that are more who they are. Yeah. Um, So, but you know, we all love theater. We all love the theater. Now, Alison Kirk replaced you, and I'm sure it was hard to hand over the role to her. Was there anything that you said to her, like, jiggle this, or, you know, this is how you turn the light on? Or were you like, I got to get out of here. I can't handle this emotional, you know, changeover. Well, I don't know if you know this, but Alison Kirk is from the same town that I'm from. I did not know that. And we were in high school together. Stop this. I mean, we were in the same, and she was, and she was Kate. She was an orphan. So you kind her. of knew her going. I, yeah, going I think it. it was my understudy as well. Uh, so she had actually gone on a, a handful of times. So um, I think that we had already known each other very well to that point. And I probably was not as gracious as I should have been because I, I, because it was really painful for me to see somebody else do the role, yeah. even though it was my choice. Um, I probably... But we had already been backstage because she was uh, playing Kate. So, um, yeah, something was in the water in Bergen County because there was another little girl, Martha Byrne, who was also from Waldwick, New Jersey, who played July. So oh it's very God. odd. Well, th- move move there if you want to be in the next revival yeah. of Annie. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell me about life after Annie. What kind of things were happening when you went back to that eighth grade year? Um and were you auditioning for things? And how did Kate and Allie kind of come to you? I was working um, in New York. You know, I'm sure I was still doing commercials. Uh, it was definitely, I do remember definitely come six o'clock every night, not really knowing what to do with myself and <laughs> kind of boring. You know, life actually really did seem kind of boring. It's like, oh, what do people do? What do so, so what do we do? Just sit here and talk to each other and watch television. No, thank you. (laughs) And so, uh, the Kate and Allie audition came up and I was definitely still working and auditioning in New York for things, but I never really had gone in for a TV series before because they all shot in California. So this was a real anomaly that there was a sitcom with kids that would be shooting in New York. And so that was really the only reason why I was even on that audition because moving to California was never, would never have been an option for my family. So, um, and I do remember that audition process being put on tape, uh, playing different first. I, you know, I read Jenny's part, then I would read Emma's part and they would kind of mix and match. And I think actually I was cast as Emma and Ari Myers was cast as Jenny. Then we got in the room with Jane Curtin and Susan St. James. I might be jumping too far ahead, but no, never. This is this is magic. <laughs> they looked at us in the room and our coloring, and they were like, "Wait, you switch over there. <laughs> Come over here. This is this family." So, uh, yeah. Anyway, that was the only reason why I was on that audition at all. Uh, it was it was really not usual for a TV show to be shot in New York city. I was very widely obsessed with the show, but specifically you. And I didn't even know at that point, cause we didn't have the internet that I was like, this girl was Annie. Like I would have had no idea, but like my little gay heart just was like very much in love with you. I thought you were the most beautiful person I'd ever seen on television. And I'm, I'm so telling you the truth. I swear. Um, and so, and then also then you started singing on a bunch of episodes and I was like, I couldn't love her more. Like it was, it was just magic. So tell me about, you know, now learning this sort of whole new world of doing a, a sitcom, which is theatrical in a way, but you know, it's a totally different medium. Yeah, we, uh, well, I will tell you for 20 years, I worked in a four block radius because of Vita. <laughs> Was on. Was that the Broadway theater? Yeah. And then the Alvin, and then, uh, you know, eventually the Eurus. And then the Ed Sullivan Theater was on 53rd and Broadway, and and it was a a real theater, um, cockroaches and all. And so we just rehearsed during the week like it was a play. It did not feel all that different. Uh, Obviously, the camera work was a bit different, but it. It felt very theater skilled, um, especially with the comedy of it. Uh, 
And so Bill Persky, I will say, who was the director and kind of our showrunner, master mind of it all, was just the sweetest, jolliest, bubbliest, most fun dad slash grandpa that any of us kids uh, doing that show could have had. Um, and he really set the tone for us feeling like a family and we did school in the basement and then we'd like go out to lunch and it was so real and normal and nothing like when I eventually moved to California and, and was eventually on one of the sound stages, I was like, wow, we were so New York. We were just, you know, you'd step out the door and you'd be in New York city with everything that came along with that. It just kept everything so down to earth and real. And I went to my own school every day I could, and I commuted back to Jersey every night. So it's just very, um, it's very homey. It was a, it was a real second home. And, uh, for my dad had moved out and, and my parents separated when I was 11 during my run of Annie. So in, in many ways it almost felt like my first home. Wow. Um, just for the stability of it. Yeah. And I mean, most, you know, people book sitcoms and they go, they don't go, you know, you book a pilot, whatever, but you know, this show had 122 episodes and you guys, it seemed like a really wonderful place to work based on every interview I've seen with, you know, Jane Curtin and all the kids and just sort of, um, Susan St. James, what, uh, tell me about sort of what the family dynamic was between, all these, you know, sort of two moms and all these kids, did we mostly get along? Did we have, you know, periods of, I can't stand these people. How, how did that go for you? We all get along and Ari Myers, we were the exact same age. I think we're six months apart. We were sisters. We just were sisters and it was whatever came across on the screen was probably exactly what was happening behind the scene. You know, she was this New York city kid who was cooler and more urban. And I was from a, you know, this big family in the suburbs. And I think those dynamics came across and we were, she was my very, very, we would work all day and then go home and talk on the phone until two in the morning. We were just real teenage best friends moving through adolescence and life together. Um, we never talked about work. We uh -huh. did what we did and then, you know, saw we had a break and would try to go roller skate down to eighth Avenue before, you know, we would miss our next, uh, scene. And Freddie Kohler who played my brother felt very much like our little brother, um, for better or worse for him because he was, I think eight when we started. So yeah. we probably should have paid more attention to him. Um, and but that would have been, that would have been outside the dynamic of what <laughs> was happening on Kate Nally, which is like yeah. this poor, this poor kid who had no best bestie. It was like you two girls. And then this boy running around, which was, um, very charming. So obviously there are things that happen in sitcoms that, you know, like sometimes are like when you're a teenager, like, I don't want to do this. Was, did that come up ever where you're like, I don't want to film this kind of episode or I don't want this storyline Was was it, wow. do you remember anything like that coming up? Mark, I feel like the fact that you were watching TV and somehow were drawn to me and loved me that your words, not mine, is astonishing to me because I, that period, the Kate and Allie period for me was, it felt, besides all the love around me and maybe not the first year or two, but the most awkward, I mean, physically awkward. I, I hated wearing all the preppy clothes cause I wanted to look cool and feel pretty and be pretty. And I never, I, I did not think of myself as pretty those years. And wow. so that was really hard to wear clothes that made me feel kind of worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember the poor wardrobe department, you know, but you don't rehearse four days or four and a half days in your in your wardrobe, but come tape moment when I had to put on those clothes, I just, I did not, the artist in me did not have that maturity to say, Oh, I'm playing a character. It really felt like they were putting me in these really ugly preppy clothes and Ari got to look all cute. Um, so that was a bit hard for me. And sometimes the singing was a bit hard for me just because it was a period of my life where I was trying to separate myself from, Annie and be something different and just explore who I was 
without that following me a bit, uh, which makes sense when you're growing up. Of course, now I think, oh my gosh, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to you. How could you have ever felt that way? But I, I think that I think that I probably w- would have been a little more stunted if I didn't have the kind of independent, rebellious personality to just want to kind of bite and chew my way into figuring out more of who I was because I didn't want to just be known for that my whole life. I, wa- well, I think I it's want- inv- incredibly hard to be a teenager on a television show and growing up through those high school years, essentially mm-hmm. on, on camera, like nobody feels good about themselves, no matter how gorgeous they are. And mm-hmm. so I think that's uh, tricky. You brought up, um, the singing episodes, specifically the goodbye to you episode, which I had recorded on VHS and watched so many times. Um, <laughs> but were you ever like, Oh, I want to do this song. Or were they like, we want you to sing more. What do you remember about how that kind of came I mean, into it? Bill Persky. And I don't know, did you see the set or, or watch the Seth? Um, yeah, I did watch it. Yeah. I mean, Bill from the get go was like, still, he, I spoke to him at, you know, 50 years old that I am. And he was like, we're going to get you to sing kiddo on that, on that, uh, <laughs> On okay. Seth's talk yeah. show, yeah. Yeah, so he just, like all good dads or family members should, he just, I just knew that I had that talent and thought it was a complete crime and waste to not utilize it. And he still yes. thinks it to this day, and he's right. I mean, he's um, right. I mean, they so, let you sing like a four-minute song on a sitcom, and that just like, yeah. this never that happened. That was all him. None of that was, was me. Uh, I wish I could say I had the maturity to just take ownership of all my talents all the time, but it was really him just being like, yeah, we got Annie and she can sing and, it's gotta and we're going to do it every season. Now this is a different level of celebrity because now you're on TV and you're in people's homes. Do you remember that shift of starting to get recognized and, you know, being sort of out and about and sort of how did your family deal with that? How did you deal with that? Yeah, I remember, again, we had the luxury of being in New York City and no one really caring as much. You know, you hit the streets just like everybody else. But uh, when I would go back home to Bergen County and go to Paramus Park, the mall, and have teenage kids who didn't know me follow me around. And, and you know, they're not kind. Teenagers aren't kind. They're not known for being sweet. No, she's so much prettier on TV, you know, and they're just kind of, you know, bullying you a bit. And luckily, luckily I always had my tried and true friends with me. So those things were hard, you know, just the, the awkward teenage years. And then, and then I think that there's a way in New York City or just, uh, people who are known in general where you can, kind of walk the streets, certainly in New York, you can walk the world, uh, kind of showing yourself more. And I don't mean externally being showy. I just mean, or you can kind of go in your hide mode. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I remember being in New York and just being kind of, I mean, just being a woman being street savvy those years in New York city anyway, or a young woman, uh, just kind of how to, how to just, mix in with everybody else is basically, um, what I did, but I did go to NYU while Kate and Allie was on. And, um, I don't know. I think at that point I was just like, you know, this is who I am. What are you going to do? I work, I work all day. I go to school (laughs) in the morning. I go to school at night. Um, it was just after doing it for probably 10 or more years at that point, I was just, who I was had a lot of, a lot of years of work under my belt by that point, you know? And I'm sure after like six seasons of a sitcom, it's a hit. It's really hard to close that chapter. Um, what do you remember thinking of like, what do I do next? What, how do I, how do I let the industry know that I'm here and I'm not just this, this girl that you've watched grow up on television? Yeah. Well, what happened for me was, uh, when, we finished Kate and Ellie. I would imagine it was in the spring because we usually always finished around March or so and finished around spring. Um, I finished out my sophomore year at NYU and got a job in Los Angeles that summer and um, 
had only, I think I'd only been to LA once or twice before for silver spoons in 1982, mm-hmm. I believe, uh, or, or one and, and then maybe some Annie tour or something. Um, and so I did some after school special in LA and I got there and it was summer and I, smelled honeysuckle and (laughs) night blooming jasmine for the first time. I was 19 years old. So it really was a solid 10 years of working and commuting to work every day my whole life. And I saw other kids my age. First of all, it's Los Angeles. So everything is like sunnier and softer uh, and brighter. And I saw kids my own age kind of doing college age, hanging out and having parties and being social. And I got invited to a party uh, in LA by Ricky Lake, who was an old theater friend from New York. He was living in LA at the time. There was kind of a New York crowd that had sort of moved to LA by that time. And I went to this party and I said, I don't think I'm going back. (laughs) I don't think I'm going back. I called my mom and I said, yeah, I, I I actually don't think I'm coming back. She was like, what? Um, so that was a moment for me. I'm in California. I feel like I'm like Joni Mitchell talking about my Laurel Canyon (laughs) days, but it really, it really was that for me. It really was this shift of, um, I've had a really intense, (laughs) 10 years of my life and I've never stopped. And I think I'm going to just slow down a bit. I was still working. I got an agent there. I I didn't know anything else. I didn't, I didn't feel like, Oh, you know what? I want to be a dentist, but there was definitely a reevaluation, which I think was the greatest, most important thing for me was to just make sure I wanted to continue to do what I was doing that I loved doing what I was doing, that I was good at what I was doing, that I wasn't, you know, I'd never been to a class, an acting class before, wow. which is crazy to think it was going backward. I didn't even study, I didn't even study art or film or writing at NYU because I was so engrossed in doing it that I thought I should learn something else about the world. So I took, um, you know, humanities and literature at NYU at Gallatin, kind of creating my own schedule. And, um, so I, I went to acting classes and I rediscovered doing scenes and, and, you know, theater pieces that I had never been exposed to or studied Shakespeare and all these things on my own. I'd never re-enrolled in, I think I took some UCLA classes for a while and in different subjects like photography. And it was just a real explosion of, of freedom and, uh, independence from, my, my mom who had been, you know, my obvious guardian all those years and commuting with me. And so, um, it was kind of the greatest thing that ever happened. It was, it was the beginning of the next chapter for me. And you kind of don't stop. I mean, you book guest star, guest star, ER, Providence, X-Files. And in 1999, you book this role on the West Wing that I'm sure was a game changer for you as far as, you know, being back in a, on a major, major series that you're on, like, you know, often, I'm sure that that was uh, very affirmative. Like, this is where I'm, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a really, really long, good run in television. I played, um, you know, I did all the good guests. You did all all the shows. I cried (laughs) everywhere. Um, and, uh, and the West Wing, and I, and I did theater, which was um, which was great in LA. Different, fully different experience, but made me feel like I've always felt like I was a theater actor. So sustaining that and continuing that as much as I could there was important to me, and very satisfying. I mean, there was not an audition that I wanted more than the theater auditions I went on. And, and if I, if I got them, it was, it was more satisfying. And there were, there were things that I didn't get too, and experiences that I had, uh, you know, one of my most famous in my mind, things that I didn't get was the Bette Midler version of Gypsy TV version of Gypsy, uh, where it was between me and another girl, the girl who got it. I think it was Cynthia Gibb. 
um, to play. Louise, yeah. And I did a bunch of screen tests with Hitler. And I also, I know all those kind of singing connection things uh, are the ones that stung that I didn't because I was like, this is my history. I have a theater history. I have a, a, a Broadway musical history. So it was Gypsy, the TV version of Gypsy that I didn't get. It was Mr. Holland's opus that I screen tested. Um, there is a student in that who sings that I, uh, that I didn't get. I mean, I know I'm just going to list all the things <laughs> I didn't get, you know, I don't know if, if you know this as well, but I, I got the, original um revival of tommy that was going to broadway when i was around this time when i had first moved to la um i got the role of sally and right when it was it was starting in la jolla and then going to broadway and i and i turned it down to do a friday the 13th movie oh my god (laughs) because i was like you know i've done broadway before and i've never done a movie before my mother was like I think you're making a terrible mistake. It's a horror movie. I was like, yeah, but I've worked. They want to do it before. So, you know, clunky, clunky. All um, right. Well, it all worked out. Look at you with um, nearly like a hundred IMDB credits. Like you've literally, you've killed it. You've been on everything. I love when I see you on my television makes me so happy. And I love that you're sort of, uh, you're always coming up with things and it's, it's kind of incredible. And when you think back at that kid in 1979 in Evita, what do you think she would think of like all of this? Like that's wild to me. Oh, I, I just feel so, you know, I've really, uh, I'm a writer as well. And I've, I've, um, I'm tr- finishing a novel right now. And, uh, I think what's so interesting is how I'm just so lucky. I, I mean, it was, it's all this just been so star crossed and fortunate. And I've been, I've been on, you know, I'm one of the greatest Broadway shows of all time playing the role in it. I, Kate Nally was this incredible 80s sitcom experience. Uh, the West Wing is certainly another incredible, you can't beat being on a Sorkin TV show. And so I guess what I realized is that I was born an artist. I've always been an artist. I love to sing. I love to act. I love to write. I love comedy. I love drama. And I'm just you know, an empath. And I love stepping into, uh, expressing how other people feel or feeling how other people feel, whether it's through singing or writing or, or performing. So I guess in hindsight, I think it's kind of a miracle that by nine years old, I was already doing that. I think it's amazing. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think I'm just so, so blessed. It's, it's pretty incredible. Now, before we do quick fire questions or before we wrap up, would you do another Broadway musical? Is that something like you look at, you pursued, you go in for like, what's happened? I need you on Broadway, Alison Smith. (laughs) I would love to be on Broadway. I would love to be on Broadway in a play or a musical. I just moved back uh, to the New York area. So I have my, my eyes set on that. I, I Mark, I hold me to it. I think it's okay. I think you need to play Cynthia and Dear Evan Hansen, which is like... I thought that when I saw it. Okay. So I'm sending it out to the universe. Okay. I love it's it. It's happening. All right. It. Are you ready for our quick fire questions? I think so. <laughs> You're just going to go with your first thought. Don't overthink it. Okay. Your first audition song. Um, something from The Sound of Music. Great. First Broadway show you saw? Annie. Something you have turned down that you had second thoughts about, which we're going to say might be Tommy. Yeah, Tommy on Broadway. Okay, fill in the blank. Jane Curtin is? Hilarious. um, Artist you would like to work with that you haven't? Brandi Carlisle. What revival of a musical would you like to star in? Oh, well, I always wanted to play Maria, but I'm way too old now. Uh, Gypsy. Okay. Um, who would you, who do you talk to most from your Kate and Allie da- times? Ari. Uh, go to uh, album for a car trip. Mm. John Mayer, Paradise Alley. Paradise okay. Alley. 
a musical that you still listen to? Sound of Music. Have you ever watched footage of you playing Annie? Like in, I'm going to say in the last five years. Yes. Okay. It's up there. I mean, you, you got your, most of your show on YouTube, which is amazing. <laughs> Um, all right. Who has been your favorite on-screen co-star? Mm, I have to say I love Frank Whaley from Buddy Farrow. We had a blast. All right. If they made a musical of Kate and Allie back in the day, who would Patti Lapone play? If they made a musical of Kate and Allie? <laughs> yes. And Patti Lapone has to be Kate or Allie. Who is she? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm just leaning towards Susan because I think that, I think that's the right choice. Yeah. A little, little, yeah. Can you name two real housewives? Absolutely not. I've never watched it. That means you're, you're a classy lady and I like you, Um, but I love the housewives. All right. Um, Who is your favorite Muppet? Mm, uh, The, the, I wasn't a Muppet person. I can't get over this. I, I'm so sorry. You know, I I was working. I'm telling you, there are so many, so many uh, like black holes in your memory of things that you things should know. That I literally missed. I took photos with Kermit and Piggy. I knew that then. We'll go with Kermit or Piggy. Um, okay. Have were you ever offered Eponine in any production of Les Mis? Uh, I was not. That I, I know. Ima- I, I can't have. imagine. I may have been, but uh, you can't remember. If, if the only reason I wouldn't have done it if is because I was busy. If um, is is because I couldn't because I would yes. have loved to have played that. Are you into true crime at all? No. Okay. Uh, well, no. Uh, I, I'm a little bit of a scaredy cat. Right. I'm reading reading the newspaper is enough for me. It's terrifying. Um, and if you could go back in time and see any Broadway show, any decade, any performance, what would it be? Um, well, I'd probably just see I'd probably just see Hamilton again. Great. Well, that's available to you. You can watch it right now on Disney Plus. <laughs> um, who makes you starstruck? Uh Dolly Parton and Brandy yes. Carlisle. Have you ever seen a ghost? I have felt a ghost, but I have not seen a ghost that I know of that it was Great. a ghost at the time. Your favorite quarantine TV binge? Unorthodox. Oh my God. So good. Um, what movie can you watch over and over again? Sound of music. <laughs> you love sound of music. Um, all right. Last question. What advice do you have for young performers? Hmm. Do it for yourself. Sing for yourself. Feel what that character would feel and don't just be in your body. Don't even think about doing it for anybody else. Allison Smith. I love everything about it. You are a delight. This is such a dream for me to get to chat with you. And um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Tell the people where they can follow you and find out what you're doing and what's next and your dates that you're going to be starring in Dear Evan Hansen, which we are (laughs) sending out to the universe. (laughs) Uh, Well, you can find me on Instagram at Allison Smithagram. Uh, And I guess that is the, the... That's the way. That's the way. That is the way I've been putting a lot of old stuff up there. Um, some vintage, uh, photos, which yes, we want all the vintage and we'll post some vintage photos on the little me podcast, Instagram as well, because you are a magical theater child who grew up to be such an incredibly, uh, talented adult doing the thing that you were born to do. And there, there truly is nothing better than that. So, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you had fun, Allison. Thank you for creating the podcast for specific niche of who I am. This, This niche. And everybody at home, you could follow us at Little Me Podcast on the old Instagram and follow me, Mark Tuminelli, at Mark Tuminelli on Instagram. And make sure you subscribe to Little Me, rate and review, all that fun stuff. Allison, I can't wait to see you on Broadway or run into New York. I'm always going to be your biggest fan. Uh, Thank you again. Mark, I love you. You're the best. Bye. Bye. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. 
For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.